The two men staggered up the endless icy slope. They had been in the death zone, above 8,000 meters, for about 24 hours at this point, and their exhaustion and hypoxia were beginning to force their minds to entertain two attractive options, going back and simply stopping to rest. No one would have blamed them for choosing the former, but the latter, although tempting, was the most dangerous thing they could possibly do. At 28,800 feet, and with a wind chill of negative 65 degrees Fahrenheit, simply stopping and closing their eyes for a few minutes could be deadly. Many climbers who did so in this kind of environment simply never woke up again. The two men knew this, and as they took off their oxygen masks to claim a few deep breaths, their eyes met. They both knew what the other was thinking, the mental battle going on in each of their minds. Then the second climber's lips parted, and his face transformed into his iconic smile. The lead climber knew what this meant. Climb on. He went to put a foot forward, but as he gazed up and peered out from his snow goggles, a large rock wall slowly came into view. In an instant, the second wind was snatched from him, and all the doubt came back like a thundering avalanche. A near vertical 40-foot section of rock stood between them and the summit. He now needed to summon energy reserves he no longer had, but there was no way around. The climber gritted his teeth, gripped the rock face with his mittened hands, and started up. My solar plexus was tight with fear as I ploughed on. Halfway up, I stopped, exhausted. I could look down 10,000 feet between my legs, and I have never felt more insecure. Anxiously, I waved Tenzing up to me. Edmund Hillary, Everest, 1953. Virtuous Man, a podcast devoted to sharing the lives of men of history, fiction, and today, and the virtues they personify. Welcome to our mini-pod series. In each episode, we'll share a short story of a key virtue and the man who exemplified it. Welcome to Episode 8, The Teamwork of Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, hosted by me, Jamie Adams. A virtue is a behaviour one conforms to in order to achieve a moral and ethically principled life through action. A virtuous man is one who is well aware of how he falls short, yet chooses not to allow his flaws to define him as he seeks to better himself. Such men show that it is possible to overcome the things that keep us from achieving our destinies. Though each man is flawed and imperfect, it is in the lives of flawed men that we see the possibility for virtue in our own lives. This episode's virtue is teamwork. Teamwork is the positive collaboration between two or more individuals to accomplish a common goal. Sports come to mind when considering teamwork, but this virtue can be just as active in the workplace, in personal relationships, and in the area of exploration. One such example of teamwork is that of two men whose bond and dedication to their mutual passion cemented their names in the history books, Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay. 
In this episode, we'll share how their 1953 first ascent of the world's tallest peak was a feat accomplished not just by their own individual mountaineering skills, but by their work as a cohesive unit. Edmund Hillary was from Auckland, New Zealand. The Kiwi was a skinny, shy loner of a child growing up, but Ed always found his place in the New Zealand countryside and in the pages of his favourite adventure novels. These two passions and the healthy living promoted by his parents would form a foundation for his life spent scaling the world's highest peaks. By the time he was 20, he was visiting the Southern Alps on New Zealand's South Island and getting into the sport of mountaineering. Ed was a conscientious objector at the outbreak of World War II, but then served in the Royal Navy in 1943, once New Zealand was threatened by the Japanese expansion into the South Pacific. After the war, he met Harry Ayres and was fully introduced to the mountaineering lifestyle and quickly learned climbing skills from Ayres and good friend George Lowe, calling the pair the first real friends he'd ever had. Hillary was invited on the 1951 British Reconnaissance Expedition to the south side of Everest, and they were successful in scouting a possible route through the Kumbu Icefall and up the southern flank of Everest. Tenzing Norgay was most likely from Tibet, though there is no clear record of where he was born, and grew up literally in the shadow of Mount Everest, or Chumalungma as the people of the Kumbu Valley call it. Tenzing's nationality has always been in dispute. His family were from Tibet, he grew up in Nepal, and he also spent a good portion of his life in India. He moved to Darjeeling to marry in 1935 and got involved in the quickly growing high altitude porter businesses out of Darjeeling, heading towards the Himalayas. Tenzing got a crash course in mountaineering during these expeditions, and this would lead him to his future career as a high altitude Sherpa. His success at high altitude led some to joke that he probably had a third lung. His performance and his magnetic smile made him a favourite of the expedition leaders. Tenzing was hired by the 1952 Swiss expedition to Everest and reached a height of 28,199 feet on the south call before turning around, a world record at the time. This made him a priceless asset to any future Everest expedition. A number of countries had been organising Everest expeditions throughout the early 20th century, but the British set their aims squarely on being the first to climb Everest. Everest had been attempted starting in 1921, and George Mallory and Andrew Irvine were thought to have almost reached the summit in 1924, before disappearing on the Northeast Ridge. Mallory's body was found in 1999, down a fall line on the Northeast Ridge where he is presumed to have fallen. Incredibly, it was remarkably preserved a full 75 years later due to the bitterly cold climate of Everest's north face. By the time of the 1953 Everest expedition, it was only a matter of time before Everest was climbed. The British had scouted the route and the Swiss had almost made it all the way up in 1952. Tenzing and Hillary met each other for the first time in Kathmandu in March of 1953 and they quickly grew to like and respect each other. The expedition ascended up the south side of Everest, setting up camps 1, 2 and 3, and then on April 26th, Hillary and Tenzing roped up together for the first time. They set off for camp 4, which Tenzing had been to just a year prior with the Swiss. 
The men reached Camp 4 and enjoyed some biscuits left behind by the Swiss before descending back down the mountain. While on the descent, their bond would be tested for the first time. As Hillary attempted to jump across a crevasse, he landed on the edge and a snow bridge gave way and he fell in. But Tenzing, now a veteran Himalayan climber, instinctively braced for the potential fall and he caught Hillary as he went only a few feet into the chasm. Hillary commented when they got back to base camp. Without Tenzing, I would have been finished today. The incident highlighted the yin and yang of their climbing partnership. Hillary, 34 at the time of the expedition, was a skilled, daring climber whose stamina was unmatched. But by all accounts, he was a bit of a swashbuckler and did not hesitate in taking risks. Tenzing, 39, was usually the rock of any expedition, and this was his seventh trip to Everest. He was a strong, dependable climber who could be counted on to do the hard work. And this sharp mountaineer's mind and quick instincts were a perfect complement to Hillary. With all gear at the South Col Camp 4, on May 26th, Tom Bordelon and Charles Evans were chosen to make the first crack at the summit. But their closed circuit oxygen systems malfunctioned, forcing Evans to climb completely without supplemental oxygen, and they were forced to turn around just 300 feet below the summit. And so it was Hillary and Tenzing's turn. After a few days of bad weather, the pair started up with their Sherpa support team of three on May 28th. They made it up to 27,900 feet with 50 to 60 pound packs on their backs and made camp for the night on an icy precipice. The support team descended leaving Hillary and Tenzing alone. They settled in for the night, turned on their sleeping oxygen and with their masks on nodded off to sleep. They awoke two hours later when their oxygen bottles ran out, quickly lowering their body temperatures and they had to replace them with new bottles. The men woke early on May 29th, ate a good breakfast and started ascending at 6.30am. There were no more camps to make now, it was summit or bust. The snow during the initial push was what Hillary referred to as a climber's curse. The surface was a hard crust, but once they put their full weight on it, the crust gave way to soft powder, and they found themselves up to their hips in snow. Obviously this destroyed any potential for developing a climbing rhythm, which was essential, and wasted their energy and supplemental oxygen. About halfway up, Hillary noticed that Tenzing was struggling to breathe. A quick check of his oxygen mask revealed a frozen valve. Fixing it, and checking his own, only to reveal a similar issue, the two breathed steadily again and continued up. It was here where they met eyes with a large vertical face of rock on the ridge that Bertillon and Evans had warned them about. This would have been a fun challenge had it been near sea level and if they would have had climbing shoes and the ability to use their bare hands. But at nearly 29,000 feet, it was a formidable obstacle. Knowing climbing the rock was too risky, Hillary saw a crack between the rock and the cornice, skirting the entire rock face on the east side. Hillary stepped towards the crack. Leaving Tenzing to belay me as best he could, I jammed my way into this crack, then kicking backwards with my crampons, I sank their spikes deep into the frozen snow behind me and levered myself off the ground, taking advantage of every little rock hole 
and all the force of knee, shoulder and arms I could muster, I literally cramponed backwards up the crack with a fervent prayer that the cornice would remain attached to the rock. I inched my way upwards until I could finally reach over the top of the rock and drag myself out of the crack and onto a wide ledge. For a few moments, I lay regaining my breath and for the first time really felt the fierce determination that nothing could stop us now from reaching the top. They were now at 28,880 feet, with just 150 vertical feet from the summit, and the last major obstacle was now below them. With each new crest, it appeared they were finally at the mountain's terminus, only to be fooled by yet another false summit. But eventually, the men saw an unmistakable rounded snow dome with nothing but atmosphere all around it. It was too late to take risks now. Peering from side to side and thrusting with my ice axe, I tried to discover a possible cornice, but everything seemed solid and firm. A few more whacks of the ice axe, a few very weary steps, and we were on the summit. The time read 11.30 a.m. It was May 29, 1953, and the two men stood at the highest point on the planet. No one else in the world knew it at the time, but these two men had just arrived at the final frontier on Earth. The last great exploration to the unknown was complete. Hillary went to shake hands with his companion to congratulate him, but he was met with a more affectionate response. Even beneath his oxygen mask and the icicles hanging from his hair, I could see his infectious grin of sheer delight. I held out my hand and in the silence we shook in good Anglo-Saxon fashion. But this was not enough for Tenzing, and he impulsively threw his arm around my shoulders and we thumped each other on the back in mutual congratulations. The man spent only 15 minutes on the summit before starting the arduous descent. Hillary took out his camera and snapped a few photos of the summit. Tenzing posed at the top of the world with his ice axe above his head, bearing the flags of Nepal, Great Britain and India. Hillary refused to have his own photo taken, stating later that he figured Tenzing had never used a camera before and that the summit of Everest was hardly the place to show him how. But one wonders if there was a more touching reason behind this. Perhaps Hillary knew that had Tenzing taken a photo of him, then that would be the photo on the front of every newspaper in the world. Instead, the most famous photo in mountaineering history is that of a Nepalese man atop the summit of Everest. If this is the case, the humility displayed by Hillary here is something truly remarkable. The teamwork displayed by Hillary and Tenzing on their Everest climb consisted of trust, of understanding of the other man's abilities and weaknesses, and of not seeking personal fame and glory. Hillary's links to the Nepalese people led him to many philanthropic ventures afterwards. He founded the Himalayan Trust in 1960, which went on to build schools, hospitals and airfields in the Sherpa regions of Nepal. Tenzing's life changed almost instantaneously after he descended Everest, 
he became a worldwide star and the idol of many in Nepal and India. But like Hillary, Tenzing's modesty and humility shone through the fame and prestige. Never tempted to claim the summit for themselves, neither man ever answered the often asked question of which man stepped atop the summit first. In their minds, the teamwork it took to finally knock off Everest simply made the answer to that question completely irrelevant. This episode of Virtuous Man was written and recorded by me, Jamie Adams, and edited by Scott Einig. Edmund Hillary quotes read by Stephen Saunders. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a comment wherever you're listening. And follow us on our Instagram page at virtuous underscore man for more stories of virtue like this one. Join us next time as we change things up a bit for an interview with Andy Smith, author of the book Man Fight For Me, The Role of Authentic Masculinity in Ending Sexual Exploitation and Trafficking.